Well, good morning. My name is Paul Rees, and I'm the lead pastor here at Shark Chapel, and it's my privilege to welcome you here today. Is this on, Andrew? Uh, we want to encourage some good reading, and uh, the book of the month this month is called Big God, and it sort of just helps reflect about how we understand uh, how God has his wheels, hands on the wheel of uh, history and life, and how that really relates to suffering, uh, decisions, praying, um, some of the big issues that we face. It's a, it's a nice, slim book, and uh, Orlando's a friend of mine. I, I got to read the manuscript. I'm really encouraged by it. I'd love, really, every person at Charlotte to read this. Uh, we've got some copies down in the bookstore. Uh, if you went to a normal shop, £8, today £6. What an opportunity. Well, as some of you might be aware, um, this weekend uh, we have a lot of young people away at Easter camps, and so let's pray for them and pray for ourselves as we come to God's Word this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way that these songs have directed our attention to the reality that suffering can be a part of this life, and that there is a spiritual battle Would you open our hearts and our ears to your word this morning, uh, that we may be warned by it and encouraged by it. And we want to thank you for our young people. Thank you for those who are leaders, who have been spending the weekend with our children. And we ask as they gather today and have fun, that you keep them safe and that you'd also speak into their lives and hearts. Lord, we pray that they would have deep convictions about the Lord Jesus and be deeply rooted in him and that you'd give them strength to run the race in their lives for Christ and for your glory. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Well, on March the 27th, uh, a young Pakistani Christian man, show you a picture of him, Sawan Masi, This was only a week or so ago. The father of three was convicted of the death penalty uh, for uh, blaspheming against the prophet Muhammad. The allegation alone triggered 3,000 Muslim mob to go and attack a district called the Joseph Colony, uh, where Sawan lived. A total of 178 houses 75 shops and at least two churches were looted and then destroyed, leaving hundreds of Christians uh, homeless and destitute. So this is only a week or so ago. Sawan denies the charge and like many other cases, the blasphemy law seems to be uh, a way to settle other scores. And it looks like this is related to some property dispute. Fourteen people are currently on Uh, death row, and 19 are serving life sentences in Pakistan. Some of you have been aware of this uh, appeal for Asia Bibi, a young Christian woman, and uh, she was sentenced to death under the same laws, and her hearing keeps being delayed and delayed and delayed, and she's still in prison awaiting um, that appeal of this sentence. And these blasphemy laws are beginning to be used more and more now in places like Egypt, Indonesia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Sudan. And that's in the world today. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
in some of these countries in the world today. Now, we don't face opposition like that, do we? We don't face that sort of hostility. But as the state moves to accept things that in all conscience Bible-believing Christians cannot, we need to prepare ourselves for perhaps more difficult days that may be coming to us. And my question to you this morning is, what would you say to Sawan? Uh, we, we could put you on a plane, you could fly to Pakistan, it would be potentially possible for you to meet him uh, later this week. You could go to this Joseph Khan, you could meet some of those who've lost their homes and their businesses, uh, who at the moment are meeting today without a church building. And I wonder, what would you say to them? If Charlotte Chapel sent you to uh, encourage them, what would you say? Well, what does God have to say? Well, please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, at page 1,221 in the church Bibles, if you don't have a Bible with you, page 1,221. This is our last sermon on the book of 1 Peter. Uh, next week we'll be going to the next section of Isaiah. We're, we're, we're getting back into Isaiah from chapter 27 to 39 for a few weeks, but uh, we're completing this series this morning. Let's read these verses from verse, five to, uh, from verse 8 to the end. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is God's word. I'm recovering from a cold. For some reason, I'm getting attacked at the back of my throat. So if I'm sipping water, that's what's going on. Well, did you notice, as we finished, why Peter wrote this letter? It's written, uh, verse 12, to encourage them. He's written briefly to encourage them. And they needed encouragement because uh, the, the Christians he was writing to, they were suffering for being Christians. And, and the purpose of this letter is he's saying to them, I know it's tough, I know it's hard, but what you have in trusting Jesus is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Don't let go of your confidence in Jesus. Don't be moved. Keep holding on. That's, that's the purpose of this, of this letter. And as he closes, he finishes with a final warning and a big encouragement. The warning, do you see it there in verse 8? 
Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, behind all the physical threats, there is a spiritual reality. I don't know whether you've ever watched a, a movie about gangsters or a documentary about gangsters. Uh, Peter Bolt, in his book, um, Living with the Underworld, makes this analogy. He, he makes a link between uh, the mafia underworld and the spiritual underworld. Uh, the world of crime families and mafia are still present in the world today. The Pope spoke very strongly against the mafia in uh, recent weeks, which was good to hear, just telling them that they were going to go to hell unless they repented, and they should repent. It was pretty strong. Uh, and so that world is out there, but it's not apparent to our eyes. As we drive around, we just see restaurants and business premises. But if we were to be able to spend time with the police, they might be able to open our eyes to see the hidden reality behind some of these so-called businesses. That's an analogy, I think, that helps us see what the Bible says about the spiritual realm. Behind all the things that we see with our eyes, there's an unseen spiritual reality at work. There is spiritually evil mob boss called the devil that makes use of the things that we see uh, as a front for his harmful spiritual business. Uh, unfortunately, if you've watched uh, too many weird horror movies, you'll locate the work of the devil in bizarre things, strange things. The reality is that the devil is much more mundane. Behind the violent angry mobs and a state that doesn't uh, prevent false allegations and uh, slander but allows injustice, there is a real spiritual opposition at work, whether they are aware of it or not. And we need to remember this, that the devil uh, has an agenda, which is to cause us to doubt God's word and to doubt trusting Christ. Uh, the, the Greek word behind uh, enemy in verse 8 that describes the devil as your enemy is a sort of a, a legal term. Uh, some of our friends in the church this morning won't like this, but the truth is that the devil is described as a sort of a lawyer, an adversarial lawyer, a prosecuting lawyer who's, who's constantly looking for evidence to discredit God's word and discredit God's works in the world. And so think uh, for a moment, those who are familiar with the Old Testament, think about the story of Job. Uh, there's Job coping with the tragedies of, of losing his business, his children, his own health. But he's got no direct knowledge of the reality that behind all of this, the devil is at work. There's a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. And, and the, the writer of the book of Job lets us see in on that at the beginning of his story. You see the same in the book of Zechariah. Um, unknown to Joshua, the high priest, the devil is standing there accusing him of being... Um, unworthy of his position, uh, accusing him of his moral, um, moral problems that prevent him from doing the job. And we see the devil uh, working uh, in some way uh, in, the, in, the, in the hiddenness in the Old Testament. But when Jesus turns up, it sort of comes out more in the open. And there the devil seems to have a claim of sort of a power over the kingdoms of this world and the ability to uh, quote the scripture to his advantage. And we, we read of Jesus repulsing 
the attacks of the devil by trusting God's word and declaring God's word. And throughout his life, demonstrating his uh, superior power and authority over the devil. The devil is not an equal and opposite force to God. God is sovereign over all. But as Jesus considers his death on the cross, he says this, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And Jesus, after he sends his disciples out um, to uh, fulfill a ministry, uh, and as they return, he says this to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. As they went out and did the work of Christ, Satan was being overthrown. And in the book of Revelation, it says that the devil knows that his end is near, and, and it says this, But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. And so Peter wants to warn these Christians that behind the oppressive, anti-Christian society and a threatening state, the devil is at work opposing them as believers. And what's his agenda? What's his intention? Well, it is this, to destroy their faith. Uh, to cause them to doubt God's goodness and God's promises and, and to scatter the church like a roaring lion would scatter a flock. The devil, as it says in verse 8, he wants to devour them. He wants to destroy the church entirely. And so how should we respond? Well, we should be watchful and resist the devil. That's what he says there. Uh, if you heard a hungry lion roaring, uh, some of our members went on safari in Africa, and let's say they were camping there overnight, and they could hear roaring lions in the middle of the night. Do you think they're going to go to sleep that night? I don't think so. Do you think they're going to sort of drink a few bottles of wine and just conk out where there's a roaring lion? I don't think so. Uh, you need a clear mind. You need to be constantly on the alert. When facing opposition and hardship, don't, don't look to drown your sorrows in booze. But in those circumstances especially, we need clear minds that are alert and watchful for the spiritual dangers. Watchfulness was a word that just got burnt into Peter's soul. Do you remember? Uh, on the night before Jesus was crucified, three times Jesus turned to Peter and the other disciples and he said, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. Watch and pray. And Jesus went to prayer, knowing that uh, he was facing a, a dodgy trial, mockery, beatings, suffering, crucifixion. That's what was ahead of him. And he prayed. And what did they do? They slept. And so when uh, the soldiers came to arrest, uh, what happened to the disciples? They scattered the lion roared and they scattered and deserted Jesus while Jesus in, with courage stood and allowed himself to be arrested in order to fulfill God's amazing plan of salvation. He went to the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, that we could be made right with God. And he stood there and took all the beatings, all the suffering, all the mockery, the agony of the cross for our salvation. And so Peter wouldn't forget that word. Watch and pray. And so he passes on to them. Be watchful. 
Be alert. The great thing about this verse is that it doesn't portray the devil as an invincible foe. There is a real threat. The devil really is an enemy of God's people, but God's people shouldn't be paralyzed. There are certain groups, certain Christian groups, who seem to make out that the devil's behind every single problem out there. Well, it's interesting, in all these verses, the devil just gets mentioned right at the end. And God's people need to be warned, but not be paralyzed. What do God's people need to do? Well, there it is in verse 9. Resist him. Resist him. That's all we need to do, resist him. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Ed Clowney in his commentary writes this, The danger to the Christian is not that he is helpless before the devil. He is well equipped with the whole armor of God. The shield of faith will extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. The danger to the Christian is that he will fail to resist. That he will not watch and pray. That he will not put on the whole armor of God and take the sword of the Spirit. This is the weapon Jesus used in the desert. It is ours to use in his name. The devil can be resisted by firmly holding fast to our faith in Christ and the gospel. I don't see a kind of modern day ministry for exorcisms or stuff like that. It's the power of the gospel that saves us. It's the Lord Jesus that saves us. Resist him. Don't give up on the gospel. Keep believing the gospel. Firmly hold on to Christ. It's what he says right at the end. You, you have the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Don't let go. My Christian brothers and sisters, don't be in any doubt that we do have an adversary. He he desires to destroy our witness as a church and our faith in Christ. In parts of the world, he's using overt persecution. He's got lots of other more subtle methods that would seek to divert us from uh, sound doctrine, divert us from trusting Christ to the lure of the world, as we've sung in many of our songs at the opening part of our service. Even in uh, our lives, there are many other temptations he can use. The, the lure of, of just fitting in, being accepted by everybody, just desiring to, to agree with what everyone else is saying around us. The, the promise of, of worldly success, academic respectability, uh, or, or perhaps even just the, the, the false promise of an illicit sexual relationship. Well, it can all be used by the devil to, to devour us. And so watch out. Resist the devil. Keep a firm grasp on Jesus Christ. Now that would perhaps be an important warning we should pass on to these Christians in Pakistan. uh, To be aware of the agenda of what's going on. But there is a, a big encouragement that we'd also want to pass on. And there it is in verse 10. And here's the big encouragement. Be hopeful and embrace the God of grace. Look at verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Seven years ago, um, our youngest Tom, when he was about four years old, uh, I remember going for a walk with Shiona. It wasn't a big walk, it was a few miles. But I remember for Tom, it just seemed like unusual, cruel punishment. We'd not got many steps before the groaning started, and, and, and that was only the beginning of the walk. And the walk just went on and on from Tom's perspective. And, and he grew in weariness and despair at this death march that his parents were putting him on. And when he was almost about to give up all hope and just lie on the floor and die, uh, it was a great moment when I was able to say to Tom, Tom, look up, look up. Can you see? It's our house. We're nearly there. We're nearly home, Tom. Don't give up. We're nearly there. And amazingly, fresh strength sprang into his weary limbs because he could see home. And I think that's what Peter's doing at the end of this letter to these suffering Christians. That the times of heartache and suffering and sorrow will not last much longer, he writes to them. Soon they'll be home. Lift up your eyes, he says. Lift up your eyes. Can you see who's waiting for you at your home? The God of all grace will himself make everything right. Look up. These suffering Christians need need not only to look behind the physical threats and consider the spiritual realities, they need to look ahead and remember their future. Through trusting Jesus Christ, we have become God's chosen aliens, God's chosen people. And um, the moment we trust Christ, we're, we're living in this country, but the truth is our citizenship has changed. We're now citizens of a heavenly country, a future country. And through the gospel, this God has called us. Do you see that? Language is so beautiful. What has God done? God has called you. If you're trusting Christ, God has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. There He is, in eternal glory. Christ is at His right hand, and if you're trusting Christ, He's saying to you, you're welcome. I can't wait to open the door so that you can come and enter into this glory. You're welcome. I'm calling you. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, I I want to say to you that this offer is for you today. Um, If at this point you've kind of rejected Christ or ignored Christ, I want to say that's very serious. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to that eternal place of glory. He's the only way to salvation. And what I want to say to you is that the offer is freely there today. If you will turn away from your rejection, if you'll turn away from your ignoring Christ and humbly come to Him, if you'll repent of your sins, if you'll trust the Lord Jesus Christ, you too will be called 
to this future eternal glory in Christ. And so come to Christ today. Everything you need is in Christ. Come to Christ. Trust Christ today. Now Peter is not um, just doing nice wishful thinking as he thinks about this eternal glory. Do you remember? He saw something of the glory of God in Christ. Do you remember? Uh, There was a moment where a few of them got called up to a mountain and they saw Jesus' uh, appearance change before them. He was transfigured before them. He, He became burning light. They could hardly look at him. They were blinded by his glory. He had a taste of the glory of Christ. And also Peter too was one of those who, uh, who saw the resurrected, glorified Christ. As he came to them after his death, he was raised again. And there they saw him in his resurrected body. And it was a real body. He was, he was cooking a fish barbecue on the beach. And he eats some and he hands it to them all to share. It's not make-believe, my friends. The God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And that is certainly something we could share with our Christian family and friends in Pakistan, isn't it? Whatever wrongs have been done, whatever injustices have been endured, God himself will ensure that these things are put right. We may have lost our businesses, our homes, our church, our health, our loved ones. We may even lose our life. But God himself will restore, make us strong, firm, and steadfast. A new glorified body full of eternal life without sin and defect. Reunited with those who also died trusting Christ in God's kingdom. In the ultimate equation, nothing is really sacrificed for those who follow Christ. Whatever the cost. And the God who makes these promises is the sovereign, all-powerful God. That says in verse 11, to him be the power forever and ever Amen. And if we are going to stand when the lion is roaring, it is these truths, it is these convictions, if they go deep into our marrow and our bones, that will enable us to endure suffering, opposition, hardship, and loss. That in Christ... We've come to know God as the God of all grace. Everything we need. And the God of eternal glory. What a privilege. I hope you're encouraged. It's true of you if you're trusting Christ. If you're not trusting Christ, trust him today. This could all be yours. Let's pray.